0: Thank you for getting yourselves out of bed on a Saturday morning. Thanks for being here. Uh, looks like it might have been difficult for others to get out of bed this morning. Um, we understand that. A um, couple of things, a couple announcements here just at the beginning. Just a reminder that um, the Shepherds Conference is coming up that first week of March. Uh, that is a Wednesday through a Friday. Uh, Wednesday, March 5th. Um, the 6th and the 7th primarily. The calendar shows it going through the weekend through the 9th. Um, but it's primarily Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, many of you have already signed up. There's quite a few guys going. And uh, if you haven't yet, there's still room to do so. I checked the website this morning. There are still. A lot of times it will fill up. and uh, So they may cap it here pretty quick. Um, but if you have any desire to go and want to ask more questions about that, come talk to me. We'd love to help you um, if you need a doctor's note to get away from work or something like that let me know I'll see what I can do for you <laughs> um, can't compensate you for loss of compensation though that's gonna be out of the question at this point but um, if you if you can by all means or by any way make it we'd love to help you do that okay we don't want money to stand in the way of that uh, if we can help you out give you a, a, a payment plan and a delay payment or just scholarship? Yeah, we'd be happy to do that. Okay, um, the time away is just great together. It's so encouraging. Uh, it's one of my favorite parts of the whole year. It's like, it's like a man's winter camp or something. I don't know. Uh, get to listen to a lot of really, really good preaching, and then just a great time together, kind of processing everything that you're uh, hearing and experiencing there. So just encourage you to uh, sign up for that. Uh, I I think I checked. We only have, I think, six more after today, six more times that we meet, and then we're done this year. And uh, so thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being here. Um, Today we're going to start and turn towards Discipline 3 in the ministry. We'll explain that in just a minute. Um, Second, I almost created a panic this week uh, that is an undue panic because I was thinking that, Kurt, you were moving today. And I was concerned when I saw that you had one person help you. And I'm like, I would not want to be moving and have only one guy to help. So this is Kurt. Kurt, just raise your hand so we can see it. Kurt is not moving today. He's moving next Saturday. And uh, you need some help just loading and unloading. Yeah, and you're kind of uh, more uh, mid-central west Phoenix, right? Going a little bit further that way. Okay. So, guys, uh, check and see if you've got some of it. What time are you going to start on Saturday? 8 o'clock in the morning and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, you've helped people move before. If you get a good system there and a few good guys, man, you can be in and out pretty quick, helping out. And even if you can only help for part of that, I'm sure you'd, you'd take anybody, right? Uh, if you want to come and be bossy and tell everybody what to do, maybe stay home. I don't know. Uh, just kidding. Um, so, Kurt, we'll see what we can get. Keep us posted in the office. Okay, as well. Um, I wanted to set before you a, a prayer request. Um, maybe even as we go into our small groups, we can uh, you could just maybe take the first few minutes when you do break up and go there just to, to pray. Um, we have a missionary in um, Italy. His name is Massimo Malica, and he serves with um, an Italian national. Massimo sounds like he could be a national. He actually is. He's half Italian. Um, but he grew up in Southern California, was out at Grace Community Church in LA, and uh, went to the Master's Seminary and graduated, and um, has been in Italy for the last few years. Um, they are north of Rome. Uh, he, he labors alongside Lucio. Lucio um, Stanici is the um, Italian national who's looking to plant a church. They originally went north of Rome to Perugia, um, which is like a big college town. It's amazing. There's an archway in that city that dates all the way back to King Saul in the Old Testament. It's it's incredible. And it's it's a a university town. There was a a church planted there by some um, American missionaries, uh, missionary family. Uh, that, That American missionary is about to retire, and so they brought, they thought it would be good to transition pastoral leadership to Lucho and to Massimo especially Lucho being Italian national, and they got a year-plus into this process, and the American missionary changed his mind, decided he didn't want to hand it over. After writing about it in a book, kind of his memoir about his plan to transition out, they made videos talking about the transition that are on YouTube, and then the pastor said, "Uh, I changed my mind, and basically dumped it on Lucho. Um, and so, it was horrible, terrible situation to have to work through. Uh, and so, for the last year plus, Lucio and Massimo have been planning to try to get to Rome to actually plant a church in Rome. And as they investigated that for over a year, there's just, there just was no open door, no open door, no open door to do that. And the cost was phenomenal to live in Rome. And, and in the meantime, while they were doing all of that several of the believers at the church in Perugia um, kept coming to them because they still lived in Perugia. Kept coming to them and saying, why did you leave us? We, we're we not being fed. We're not being encouraged. Why don't you stay here? And they were like, we just don't want to cause any division. Well, this kept happening with more and more and more people. And, um, and I Skype with um, Massimo about every other week. He's a really good friend. and um, He emailed me yesterday th- to tell me that this Sunday is their first Sunday that they are going to stay in Perugia and start their own church. And they met with the leadership, that American missionary uh, from the other church and told them clearly what they were going to do and that they weren't trying to steal any of their sheep, but that there was a need uh, to plant a church there. And um, that was a short meeting and the heat has turned up on them now, and they're getting a lot of uh, conflict. And Sunday's their first Sunday, so um, he just asked for prayer. And knowing him and, and knowing Lucio, um, they just they would really, if, if you could just pray for them over throughout the weekend and, and just keep them in your prayers ongoing in these coming weeks and months, I'm sure they'd be really encouraged. So, Massimo is his name, and Lucho. Um, L-U-C-I-O, and Massimo with an A at the beginning. So like Massimo. Okay. Uh, Pray. Uh, It it meant that there was no discussion about what they were going to do. And they they wanted to keep it short. It was about 20 minutes long. Just telling them, we just want to tell you what we're going to do. And... um, so they did that, told them what they are going to do, and now, since then, there's been lots of accusations flying at them. And So it's one of those things where a guy kind of develops a little empire, and he thinks he's ready to step out of it, and then he um, backed out of it, decided he still wanted the empire. So he had built for himself. So. so it's a sad situation. But anyway, Massimo will be at Shepherds Conference. Um I think in the past when he's been there, we've always had him come and hang out with us. I met Massimo when he was in ninth grade. Uh, he, I was his discipleship leader in student ministries at Grace Community Church in L.A. and he called me and needed a ride every week. And so for two years, well, the next two and a half years, I gave him a ride every week to discipleship group and hung out with him. I, I know of no better evangelist than Massimo. Um... Massimo will share the gospel with anything that moves and everything that moves. And he did. As he worked as an engineer uh, out of college and, and his way through seminary, he was relentless in sharing his faith. And uh, being Italian and uh, longing to for his his um, the country of Italy, he just wants to go back and share the gospel. He shares the gospel with tons of people at the university there. He is... Shared the gospel with Muslims who are going to school there, um, immigrants who aren't in the country legally, um, with his neighbors. I haven't met somebody that he has not shared the gospel with when I've been with him. So um, he is, Lucho's, and Lucho's a great preacher. Uh, he is he's a phenomenal preacher, uh, really loves God's word. So it's a great combination to have an evangelist like Massimo and then a a man who can really exposit God's word and Mossimo can do that too uh, but just pray for those two men and um, I'll let you guys do that in your small groups as you break off Jeff um, I have a request of some missionaries from Sudan and they've been to our church a couple of times Saban and Susie Cooch and they have four children now they adopted his niece anyways um they're on furlough for the first time in four years, and they're coming mm. through here on March third, fourth, and fifth. And my house is full, mm. so we're looking for a place for them to stay. And they'd probably be pretty comfortable piling into one room, where they live in Sudan is kind of like one room. So there are six of them. Yeah, there's six of them. Okay. What are the ages of the kids? Do you do you uh, let's see, Hannah might like be 10 or 11 now. And then they go down. From there. So, 11 like uh, the no, older. 3. Kids. three? Yeah. Okay. Um, if you want another the real details, talk to Lori and uh... Yeah, the re- the real details talk to lori But it is the Okay, so that's a Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. Okay. So, if you if you are interested in helping Uh, giving them them a home, uh, or if you know somebody who might be interested, talk to them and let Jeff know. Okay? Um, What else? Let's talk through the disciplines. Turn your notebook over. Shall we do that? BUILD stands for Becoming United in Leadership Disciplines. One of the things that we want to do at the church is um, we want men to unite around these spiritual, leadership, biblical disciplines. Um, we want to have uh, this, the, build this kind of, you know, the way that we, we uh, offer it to the church is, is, is if you profess Jesus Christ as your Savior, um, you've repented and you believed in Christ, and you call Grace Bible Church your home, we want you here. Um, and we want all of the men to unite around these leadership disciplines. We don't want a pocket of men who think that the way to be godly is over here in this area, and it's not like what this other pocket of men are doing over here. We want all of the men united in understanding what um, it means to be a godly, disciplined, spiritual man. Okay, so then we have these disciplines that we want to unite around. The first one is like the fountainhead. It's the heart. Um, that you would shepherd your heart to the Word of God in order to know and love and serve and enjoy and fear the God of the Word and obey the God of the Word. Um, we're, we're not trying to just open the Bible for knowledge's sake, for uh, to, to get a Bible study lesson, to answer uh, uh, a... Uh, an objection from somebody at work. We're not trying to win a theological argument. We're primarily coming to the Word of God because we want to know God. We must know God. We must love Him there, worship Him there. When your Bible is open, it needs to be a worshipful time. Um, it Also, that, that needs to be something that's ongoing throughout the day, that you're bringing the God of the Word to bear on every situation in your life. And that takes discipline, doesn't it? If you do nothing... If you don't even try, you just kind of go through the motions of the day, you're not going to bring the God of the Word to bear on every single conversation, every single relationship, and every single situation. It takes discipline to do that. You have to control yourself to do that. So discipline one is is engaging your heart with the God of the Word through the Word of God. When your Bible's open and it's just you and it's dark and nobody else is awake in the house, all the way through the day, um, we want men to unite around that you become that kind of a man where you shepherd your heart that way everything else will take care of itself but if you leapfrog that you're only setting yourself up for danger and trouble okay the second discipline then is you that the first place of impact must be the home it must be the home you need to take that kind of character and that kind of discipline with your heart And it needs to permeate your household relationships. It doesn't matter, we've got guys sitting here who are are a son in, in the home still. It doesn't matter if you're a son living under your parents. Your parents need to experience from you the aroma of your life that you are after God from the heart in his word. They need to benefit from that. It doesn't matter if you're a single guy living with a bunch of other single guys. Those guys in your household need to benefit from you being that kind of man. Um, if you're married, obviously your wife, your children. If you're a, a dad, your children need to benefit from this, from you being this kind of a man. Um, too many men leapfrog over this because they got excited about maybe it's their church, their, their leadership in their church. Grab them and asked them to teach a Bible study or to lead a, a ministry. And they saw that, and, and there was some success there, and it was fun, and, and it, was, it, was a, it was good, it, it was challenging. And, and a man just continues to do that, but he's not taking care of his home, and he's not taking care of his home, and he keeps neglecting his home. And the people in his ministry really like him, but his wife isn't crazy about him anymore. And his kids really chafe against him. And that's a disaster waiting to happen. How many times do we see that? That a man is in ministry and he's been neglecting home plate all the time. So these first two disciplines are are really crucial. All of them are crucial. But the first two are really crucial. The first one is the fountainhead of the heart. The second one is is the first place of impact, the household. The third place of impact must be then ministry, the ministry. And we're going to start talking about that one this morning. What does gospel ministry look like in the church and outside of the church? Um, you, if you are shepherding your heart well, and if you are taking your your life and trying to impact your household for the gospel's sake, um, you are a man who should and must step into the lives of other people in your church and outside of the church. You need to do that, and and you, and you don't need to worry, because when they get close to your life, they're going to find out that what you are at home is what you are In ministry to them, and it's what you're doing with your own heart. It's a life of integrity. Um, What they find you to be outside the church, what they find you to be, what the believers in in Christ in the church find you to be is what you are at home, is what you are when there's nobody watching uh, your life as you're before the Lord. So you want to be a man of integrity in those things. Um, The fourth discipline is the qualifications. And it's interesting, you'll find out as you look at it, in First Timothy 3 verses 8 to 13, you have the deacon qualifications, and in verses 1 to 7 you have the elder qualifications. If you look at those elder qualifications and deacon qualifications, you're going to basically find each one of them coming down to one of the first three categories. What kind of a man is he at the heart level before God? What is he like in his household? And what is he like with people in ministry? So, Discipline 4 in looking at the qualifications is really just another way of being able to measure what do you like as a man who shepherds your heart, what do you like as a man who's caring for your household, and what do you like as a man in ministry, inside the church and outside the church. And so we're going to focus and build especially on the deacon qualifications. We'll introduce that um, with Acts 6 and what was going on there in the early church, and then we'll actually look at the qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 coming up in March. Um, after that, we then add a discipline called the hermeneutic. Um, hermeneutics is uh, defined this way. It's a, it's a set of rules for interpreting Scripture. It's a set of rules for interpreting Scripture. You follow a set of rules as you try to figure out what a passage means. Um, when you apply those rules and actually put them to use, you, so you take those tools out of your belt and you start digging into the Word of God, that's called exegesis, E X E G E S I S, exegesis. That's an exegetical approach to Scripture. You're applying hermeneutics to the text. Okay? Um, expo- exposition is when you then take that and you preach it to others. Okay? Or homiletics um, is another word for it. Hermeneutics is way back at the beginning, it's a set of rules for interpreting Scripture. Now, you might think, well, why don't we put that one first because we're going to the Word of God to find out who He is. Well, language is such where it's not a code. It's not like a mystery code where you've got to unlock it. It's self-evident. You don't have to go to your children every day and say, now, I'm about to speak, but before I do, I want to give you the rules for interpreting what I'm going to say. You just start communicating and the meaning comes across. Now, along the way, you sometimes do need to clarify. But what we do is we want, before we give men the rules for interpretation, we want to first make sure that they're coming to the Word of God for the right reasons. To worship God from the heart. And that they're taking care of their household. There's There's a conviction and a discipline. Yes, I want my family and my household to benefit from this. And yes, I want to care for, for people in the body of Christ and outside the body. I want to be a qualified man. That kind of man is a man that we want to train to study and teach and explain God's word to people, right? You want, it's the kind of man that you want to equip with the word of God. Do you guys understand? So we'll spend the last part of the year going over hermeneutics, how to study the Bible, what are the, what are the rules for interpreting the Bible. And then, if, if that really scratches you where you're itching, H3 is the next thing. Because what H3 is with, with SMED, H3 stands for Head, Heart, and Hands. Uh, heart, Head, and Hands. Let's do it that way. Uh, heart, still, SMED will reinforce every week uh, what we talk about in Discipline 1. Head it becomes, now we need to we do need to have knowledge in our minds, primarily a theological knowledge. What is the theology if we could, if we could systematize the theology that the elders of this church believe, we want to pass that along to men. And then the hands part is actually you'll be assigned a passage of scripture, and you will be your 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 assignment at the end of H3 is to teach that in a 20-minute lesson or sermon to the rest of the men in the class. And all year long, Smed walks with you. You deal with the English text only. He doesn't make you deal with Greek or Hebrew. uh, But you deal with the English text. You will apply all of these rules of hermeneutics that you'll get. You will diagram the passage. That's right. You'll diagram a passage and Smed will hold you by the hand and he'll dry your tears and he'll comfort you and you will diagram a passage. And from that, you will then come up with a way to explain the passage to the other men. And you will find out that you have far too much information to be able to pass along to the men in 20 minutes. You'll wish that you had an hour and 20 minutes for your passage. Um, so, build ends with that, um, towards the end of the year with the hermeneutic teasing you a bit to say, come on, let's go to h three. If a man has done well in build, and what do we mean by well? Uh, faithful in attendance, faithful in his homework, he, he's thought about the way his homework is, the elders want to invite that man to consider H3. Um, if you don't have the spiritual discipline down of shepherding your heart, if, if you're really re- very inconsistent in caring for your household, you need to do build again. You need to keep doing build. And by the way, guys, build is not just a one-year thing where you say, hey, I did that. I did that five years ago. I don't need to do that again. I took that class. I took biology in college. I don't need to take it again. Uh, H3 is always open. How many of you guys are taking it again? Several guys do that. Um Build is just one of those things where, please, just come back. Take a refresher course on it. Um, Remind yourself, oh, yeah, this is what I need to be about. This is is the fundamentals of the game that I've got to keep fresh in my mind. And then the last discipline is the vision. We actually started the year with that, explaining what Grace Bible Church is about, what its vision and its purpose is as a church, um, and how build and for the women how Wellspring fits into what Grace Bible Church is all about. You you could, I think, take all five of these first five disciplines and you could implement them at any church, but you're not at any church, you're at this church, and so we wanted you to understand what Grace Bible Church is all about. Okay? So that is what the disciplines are about. Um, it, it, do you guys have your uh, handout from over at, at, at off the table this morning? Uh, why don't you go get some? Does anybody need one? Ben can hand some out to you guys. I want to point out your homework to you just for a moment. Get a couple more. If you just look at the blue sheet, your, your homework, we're almost done with Psalm 119. I think maybe just one more. I think there's just one more... Um, Section to go through. If you flip it over to the back side, the Proverbs side, I just want to tell you what my aim is um, in Proverbs this year. I love to study the book of Proverbs. The last year, in 2013, I went through it very slowly and I just tried to categorize, I tried to make, and I encourage you guys to do this. Uh, take Take a good season of time. And get a good journal or your laptop or your whatever it is you use to take notes on. Um, and, and just start watching uh, for different categories of life and, and skill and character that are mentioned in Proverbs. And, and, and write it down like lying, sin, okay? Lying. And when you come across a liar or lying, write the verse down. And then keep reading. And then as you read, you'll come across another verse. and put it back under lying. Make these categories of lying. Speech in general. That's one that we've been working on the last two times. Speech in general can break down into two categories. You, know, you can really be a blessing to people with your tongue, and you can just kill people with your tongue. Um, make categories. Start subdividing. Take the rest of your life and really study God's wisdom in Proverbs and come up with these categories. Um, the adulterous. Make a category. List all of the passages. Being teachable. Humility. These kinds of things. The fear of the Lord. And what this this homework is, is I try to just give you the the verses that that I've come up with. I'm missing a bunch, I'm sure. You can add to it. Um, You you may want to take some out because you don't understand what I was thinking when I put it in there, and that's okay, it doesn't matter. But I give you the verses, and what I want you to do is I want you to think in each one of these categories... what would be the marks of a godly man who uses his words to bless others? Come up with that on yourself. Let that sift through your own mind and heart. Adopt that for yourself. And then, my, my thought is, not just so that you're benefited by this, but if you had to disciple your own son or daughter, your wife, somebody else in the church, because you're concerned about whatever in their life, they brought the concern to you. And you're like, oh my goodness, I have something I can give you. Here, take these verses, chew on them, and when we get back together, let's talk about what it means to be a person who blesses with their words or whatever. I want you to have discipleship material from God's Word to be able to use. So you will get out of this what you put into it. Okay? So um, this is here for you. I hope you guys will take advantage of that, all right? Okay, what we want to do is we want to spend some time in small groups. Take a look this morning at Philippians 2, so you can get your Bible open to Philippians 2, verse 19. Um, this is a new lesson for me this year. Um, if this is your first year, this is new for you too. Well, it doesn't matter who you are. It's new for you no matter who you are. You've, you've never heard this one before. Um For years we've uh, taught from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and 2 on Paul, making observations about his ministry, his gospel ministry there, Um, and that's a very thick, rich, and dense passage on that. Um, Philippians 2 caught my eye the last time I read through it, about a year ago or so, and I I really wanted to um, give special thought to verses 19 to 30 of Philippians 2 because Paul is very autobiographical, and he's very um, biographical about um, Timothy and Epaphroditus as well. So what we'll do today is we will um, take this longer passage, verses 19 to 30, and we'll chop it into two, and we'll do verses 19 to 24 today. And... uh, Again, we're considering what gospel ministry looks like. And so there's no better life to look at than the Apostle Paul, and there's no better life to look at than the lives of those men who are around him and surrounded him. Um, So let me read verses 19 to 30 for you, and then we'll pray. Verse 19, But I hope in the Lord Jesus, Paul says, to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition for i have no one else of kindred spirit who will be genuinely who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare for they all seek after their own interests not those of christ jesus but you know of his proven worth that he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father therefore i hope to send him immediately as soon as i see how things go with me and i trust in the lord that i myself also will be coming shortly But I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier who is also your messenger, literally your apostle, and ministry to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I have sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. Receive him then in the Lord with all joy and hold men like him in high regard because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning and thank you for the chance to be together as men uh, before your word. Lord, it is a joy to put our lives together and um, to seek your face um, so that we might grow more and more into the precious image of your son, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to become better ministers or servants of the gospel of Jesus. Help us as we look into the life of Paul and Timothy uh, today. Lord, help us um, to grow in our understanding of what gospel ministry is and looks like and requires and, and how it blesses. And so, God, we put ourselves humbly before you and your word and ask for you to change us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you the background uh, of what's going on in this letter first. Uh, as you know, probably this is one of Paul's prison epistles. <coughs> Uh, So, Paul is in prison in Rome. This is his first imprisonment. So, at the end of Acts, when he gets to Rome and he's in prison, that's when he writes Philippians. This is approximately AD 62. Uh, Paul is probably 57 years old at that point. Um, The Philippians were concerned for Paul. Do you remember when they met Paul? If you've been with us on on Sundays, you know um, they met Paul in Acts chapter 16. the first missionary journey, probably around 51, uh, AD 51 and there's a a special relationship. I I hope that tomorrow you're able to be there because we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the role that the Philippian church had in the life of Paul. The Philippians had a really special place in his his life. They immediately, after he left them at the end of chapter 16 and, and went to Thessalonica in chapter 17, they immediately started supporting him. And Timothy was running back and forth from wherever Paul was to the Philippians and they would have another gift ready to be able to deliver to Paul so Paul wouldn't have to make tents all the time but he could he could work and, and preach the gospel. Um, and he could do that with the Philippians. He wouldn't take a cent from the Corinthians because the Corinthians had the wrong attitude about why they were paying Paul. They wanted to boast and, hey, Paul's our guy. Philippians weren't that way. He had no trouble receiving anything from them. They were a, a dear church to him. But anyway, Paul is, this is later beyond Acts chapter 16 and 17. This is after Acts 28. And the Philippians were concerned for Paul's welfare while he was in prison. And so what they did while Paul was in prison is they sent their guy, Epaphroditus, to him to serve him, to probably take uh, some money to him, some support. Look at chapter 4, verse 18 of Philippians. He says, I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent. It's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice. It's well-pleasing to God. So Epaphroditus was sent. He was their apostle. He was their sent one uh, to be with Paul and to minister to Paul. And so Paul was able to then learn of how the Philippians were doing, and his heart was only warmed to see them and learn more about how they were doing. If you look at chapter 4, verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have resu- revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked the opportunity. So they were they were concerned about Paul, but they didn't know where what was going on with him. But now they did know, and they sent Epaphroditus, and Paul was just blessed by that. Look down at verse uh, 7. Oh, I'm sorry, over at chapter 1, verse 7. It is only right for me to feel this way about you all because I have you in my heart since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ. Uh, so Paul, once he learned of how the Philippians were doing, his heart was only warm to see them and learn more about how they were doing. And then something tragic happened while Epaphroditus was with Paul. He got sick and almost died, evidently. We saw that in Philippians too. And so then Paul became anxious uh, for what the Philippians would think. Because they sent Epaphroditus to do this job they wanted him to do, but now the guy they sent to go bless Paul practically dies and and, and is, is, is horribly sick. And so they would be concerned that, great, thanks Epaphroditus, sent you to go take care of Paul and you almost die. And you can't even finish, you're unable to finish what we sent you to do. And so what Paul wanted to do is as soon as Epaphroditus was well enough, he wanted to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians early. Go back to chapter 2 and look at verse 18. uh, 28, sorry. Paul says, I sent him all the more eagerly so that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less concerned about you. I'm concerned that you don't know how he's doing uh, or are concerned when you see him. And then he has to actually... Exhort them and, and, and direct them, uh, command them how to view him in, in verses 29 and 30. We'll look at this next time together. But what Paul's doing is he's saying, Look, don't look down on this guy. You sent him to me to accomplish this ministry to me. He didn't get to finish it because I sent him back to you before he was even able to do all of it. He almost died on me. But I'm sending him back and I'm instructing you. Verse 29 receive him in the Lord with all joy, and hold men like him in high regard, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete. He just wanted to alleviate the Philippians. Look, everything's okay with me. I'm not upset that he wasn't able to finish. He's good. Don't look down on him because he didn't get to finish his job that you sent him for. Hold him in high regard. And now it appears in the letter, uh, as Paul writes this, so And Epaphroditus is the one carrying this letter back to the Philippians. And now it appears that Paul believes that his case either will soon be heard by Caesar and he will be released, or he's about to have his case heard and he thinks that he'll be released soon. Um, He says in chapter 2, verse... um, Where does he say this? Verse 24... I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. Uh, he, he believes that he will be released. Chapter 1 also reveals that. We'll talk about that a little bit more. So that's your context. A uh, little bit of drama going in there and all that. Denny. So how much time does elapsed last between this letter and the time that uh, Paul was on the second mission of Jeremy? So- oh, this is, this is at the end of Acts 28. This is his first Roman imprisonment. This isn't the imprisonment in Philippi. This is So Acts 16 takes place. He's beaten in Philippi. He has to leave the city. In Acts chapter 17, he goes to Thessalonica and Berea and then to Athens. Um, about 10 years later, he has an ongoing relationship with the Philippians. He'll have this ongoing relationship throughout the, that whole 10 years. About 10 years later, he gets imprisoned in Rome. The whole thing in Jerusalem happens. He gets taken to Caesarea for a couple of years and waits in prison and eventually makes his way all to Rome, past the the shipwreck um, in the latter part of Acts, and the Philippians are still connected to his life, and that's when this is going on. Yeah, good question. So what we're going to learn here is all in this context. It's in this context of Paul being well cared for by a church, having a fellow servant almost die on his watch, Um, with strong desire to see the Philippians and and all of this going on, it's in this context that there's insight into gospel ministry. What does gospel ministry look like? It's a great context to look at what gospel ministry is all about. Um, So we get a look at it through Paul's mindset. What what does Paul think like in this way? That, That will tell us about gospel ministry. We're going to get a look at it through Timothy's character what gospel ministry is like, and we're going to get a look at what gospel ministry is like through Epaphroditus' nearly self-sacrifice to learn what gospel ministry is all about. So what I want to give you is six observations about gospel ministry from verses 19 to 24, and then we'll add to it next time in verses 25 to 30. So here's the first one. Number one, the first observation on gospel ministry. Relationships in the gospel mattered greatly to Paul. You can't walk away from any of this in Philippians, really any of his letters, and get the feeling that Paul is, you know, ministry is great if it wasn't for the people. Uh, you hear, you know, pastors joke around like that. Elders joke around like that. It's a terrible thing to say. It's horrible. It's not even funny. Um, you you walk away, anytime you read about Paul, that all he can think about is people. Uh, Relationships in the gospel mattered greatly to Paul. That's fellowship. Fellowship. Those relationships in the gospel mattered. The emphasis here is on people. Look at verse 19. He wants to learn of their condition at the end of verse 19. Verse 20. Who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare? I'm concerned for your welfare. Who else is concerned for your welfare? Go back to chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, Look. Let's look at that, these two verses again. Look how Paul feels about these people. It is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Chapter 1, verse 7. Because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of grace with me. For God is my witness how I long for you all with the affection of Christ. Uh, look at verse 25 of chapter 1 convinced of this. I know that I will remain on. I, I have this desire to even die and go be with Jesus because that'd be better, but I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the face so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. He just wants to be with him. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, whom I long to see, my joy and crowned, in this way, stand firm in the Lord. And then he points out two ladies in the congregation. I urge Eodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony in the Lord. Indeed, true companion, I ask you also to help these women who have shared my struggle in my struggle in the gospel, together with Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. And he's mentioning people by name. I mean, go to the end of Romans. I mean, how many people does Paul already know in Rome? His life was about people. His ministry was about people. Drop down to verse 10 of chapter 4. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. He loved people and he loved the people loving him. He just there was this bonding of life, this fellowship that they had that was overwhelming to him. Verse 14. Nevertheless, you have done well to share with me in my affliction. Verse 15, you yourselves also know Philippians that at the first Look, this is this is back in, he's referring back to Acts 16. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, when he had to flee from Thessalonica and then to Berea and then to Athens, he tells us that no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. So when he, had, he got put on horseback ride and he had to go another 50 miles to Berea and then he had to leave Berea and take a ship to Athens, there was only one church that was supporting him in all of that. And what we're going to find out tomorrow is Timothy was running back and forth from Philippi to wherever Paul was in Athens and then to Corinth and he was just running back and forth all the time because the Philippians were like, we've got more. We've got more for Paul. Come get this. But nobody else shared in that matter. Even in Thessalonica, verse 16, you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Luke didn't record that. But Timothy's running back and forth. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. I have received everything in full through Epaphroditus. Uh, You can write down 2 Corinthians 6, verses 11 to 13. 2 Corinthians 6, 11 to 13. Paul has trouble with the Corinthians. They're restraining their affections for Paul. They're kind of holding him off with a stiff arm and holding back their affections for him. And he says, We've opened wide to you. You open wide to us. Um, Go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. I want you to see this. Just a couple books to the right. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 6. And and I like this because it's all kind of the same geographical area. Remember, and we've seen Paul be in Thessalonica in our study in Acts. But this gives you a sense of how Paul felt about the Thessalonians, about how relationships mattered to him. Look at verse 6 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, Thessalonians, and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all of our distress and all of our affliction, we are comforted about you through your faith. He's writing from Corinth, and he's getting a lot of resistance there. For now we really live if you stand firm in the, in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all of the joy which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and make complete what is lacking in your faith. If you want to, a great study would be just to go through Paul's letters and watch for passages like this so that you can learn the heart of the Apostle Paul, that the man who took the gospel all across the Roman Empire, how he felt about people, how he felt about believers. You can go back to Philippians 2. There was no man more driven with a gospel plan than the Apostle Paul. There was nobody with a greater agenda in the gospel than the Apostle Paul. Yet the last thing that comes across to you is that he was solely task-driven. I've got this plan, I've got this five-point plan of how I'm going to get the gospel across the Roman Empire... Check off number one. I'm done. You never get the sense in any of his writings that he's solely task driven. Um, nobody planned more deeper. Nobody planned wider. Nobody planned further than Paul for the expansion of the gospel. Nobody. But the gospel's expansion never led him to be task driven in such a way that people were not the primary task. People were the primary task. Look, at I just made a short list in my mind this morning. Paul had a custom that he always used when he went to the synagogue, right? He had a plan. This guy had plans in his mind. He planned every time. Anytime I go to a city, find the synagogue, we're going to go in there, we're going to preach to the Jews, we're going to get our behinds kicked, and we're going to go preach to the Gentiles, okay? That was his plan every time. He wrote pastoral epistles that are an, a plan for, for how to establish the local church. He wrote all of his other letters about here's doctrine and here's how you live. Here's the plan for how to live out that doctrine in your life. He had a plan for the expansion of the gospel. Um, Romans 15, hey Romans, I can't wait to come see you, but when I come see you, I'm actually on my way to Spain. I mean, this guy's thinking, he's got plans galore. He, he, he had a plan to always receive money from the Gentile churches up in Achaia and Macedonia so that he could take that back to Jerusalem. I mean, this guy had plans galore. He even says in Ephesians 3 that grace was given to him to administrate the mystery, which is the church. My job that God has given to me grace for is to write out the plan for the way that the church is supposed to conduct itself. Where were they going to go in the Old Testament to find the church? It wasn't there. Jew and Gentile together as one in a brand new man, a new body, they couldn't go to their Old Testament scriptures to find that. Paul was the one who revealed that plan from God about how... I'm trying to make the point. Paul was a planner. Paul had all kinds of customs. He had an agenda. He had a task. He was ready to go to the ends of the earth. But people were always the primary concern. In genuine gospel ministry... If a man becomes driven to complete ministry tasks while people suffer, change needs to take place. Repentance needs to take place. Because gospel ministry is about relationships with each other. It always is. That doesn't mean you don't plan. It doesn't mean, well, I'm a people person and and I don't really plan. It doesn't mean that. That would be the other side, right, that you want to avoid. But it's certainly not, oh, i got plans, i got agendas, i got these big ideas, and I'm going to carry these things out, check off my list, and, and, and lose people in the midst of it. It can't be that way. Checking off a list paled in comparison to seeing again the faces that Paul loved. And here's the reality of it for us where we live. The more ministry remains simple, And to some extent, smaller. As a a church gets bigger, you have to figure out ways to make it smaller in in pockets so that it's simple. I hate using words like this because I don't know what people mean by them anymore. I know what I mean. But the more you can keep ministry organic, that it's not programmed and all slicked up and polished and branded and everything, the more you can just keep it simple. The clearer this observation is, and it's easier to keep people in front of you, relationships in front of of you. The bigger the ministry becomes, the more relationships can get sacrificed for plans and reports. Um, This is what every church has to face and deal with. Relationships and ministry always matter more than reports. And plans. They always matter more. If you plan and you get reports, but you lose people and you don't love people, who cares? It's not gospel ministry anymore. Paul might have been content with a, a visit that Timothy made. Look, he sent two guys ahead of him. Epaphroditus is delivering the letter. Uh, then he sent Timothy, and he says, But I'm coming. He could have been satisfied. Timothy, just tell me how was doing. I, I got stuff I got to do. I mean, I'm trying to get to the ends of the earth here. Just tell me, just let me know they're okay. But that's not Paul. Paul was convinced. I trust, he says in verse, in t- verse 24, I trust. I, he's convinced that I'm in the Lord, that I myself will be coming shortly. Relationships were sweet to Paul. Love was overflowing to them, and love overflowed back to him from the people that he ministered to, so the question to think about this morning, guys, is how is your love for people? Do you love people? I can remember um, I've had many conversations with guys who, who've said, "I want to go into the ministry, I want to go to seminary," and, and I'll ask, "Why? Why do you want to go?" Well, because man, I want to. I want to preach God's word. I love studying the Bible. And I want to proclaim God's word. And I think, uh, okay, I I do that. Um, And if you could see my week, um, you would know, in fact, you would know that the time spent locked up in a study is oftentimes overrun with people. um, In situations where people need to be cared for. Um, And so I always ask, when I hear a guy, and his answer sounds that way, I want to preach, I want to teach, I love studying, I just want to study God's Word all day. I ask him, do you love people? Because you're going to be with people a lot. You're going to be with people a lot. Um, Another question to ask yourself even at work, guys, even if you're not in full-time ministry, but you're at work and you're doing your job and you're driven to do what it is you're doing, and some guy comes up and, you know, he just wants to shoot the breeze with you for a moment. He's, he's taking his coffee break on your work time. How do you view interruptions? How do you view interruptions when people come and, and interrupt your time? You're at home working and the next thing you know, there's the pitter-patter of little feet that come up and distract you. How do you view people? Um, I constantly have to get my... It's a discipline for me to have to get myself out of wrong thinking into right thinking about people. And I don't always do it very well. But how do you think about people? Do you love people? Every distraction is a divine appointment that God gives to you. Um, Paul loved relationships in gospel ministry. Number two. Paul sought the encouragement that comes from relationships. Look at verse 19. I'm I'm going to send Timothy to you shortly so that I also may be encouraged. Paul just loved the encouragement that came from relationships. Um, Gospel ministry, remind yourself of this, guys. Remind yourself, gospel ministry was costly for Paul, was it not? Stoned in Lystra, beaten with rods in Philippi, chased from one city to the next by the Jews unjustly imprisoned what was the source of encouragement for Paul in gospel ministry that he could check off another to-do thing or list on his to- do uh, thing on his to-do list like I get encouraged when I see my my list getting checked off man that is encouraging to me Paul was encouraged by people and in particular he was heartened he was he gained courage um, by seeing how they were doing. When I learn of your condition, verse 19. He would be con- encouraged when he learned that they were all right. This this implies that there's the presence of something unsettling in Paul. He's unsettled about how the Philippians are. After everything that's happened with Epaphroditus and he's in jail and they were really wanting to minister to him, he's unsettled, but he'll get encouraged when Timothy goes and he hears more, he'll get encouraged. So Paul's encouragement was connected inseparably to people, how they were doing spiritually. His encouragement was, was not necessarily connected to other things as much, um, like it often is for me, a, a heavy to-do list that's progressively getting crossed off. Um, He needed to learn of their condition. Can I just encourage you? Learn to ask good questions with people. The way that you're going to find encouragement is by how people are doing spiritually. So learn to ask questions. Some of you guys are are unusual and and you're probably good at asking questions. The rest of you are just guys. I mean, you're a guy. And you don't have any trouble having conversation but if you're like me you don't go into a conversation with 10 questions that you want to ask the person that's my wife we're driving to go have dinner with somebody and she's prepping me for all of the things that she wants to ask the couple and i'm like i should have thought of that my wife loves to ask questions she is tremendous at asking questions she's thinking about i want to know about that person and and Guys, we need to be like that as we minister to one another because there's encouragement for us in how each of us is doing spiritually. And so when you go and you ask questions that unearth that and bring it out, there's encouragement for, obviously, the person you're asking, but there's encouragement for you. So how often do we just stumble into encouragement because the conversation just kind of naturally drifted there, but not by our plan, It just kind of drifted to the place where we end up talking about how we're doing spiritually. That's okay, but why not plan for it? Why not go, as you're driving to your next appointment, you're going to go on your way to small group, why don't you think, okay, I'm going to come up with three questions that I can ask so-and-so because I want to find out how they're doing spiritually. You see, Paul derived encouragement from those relationships, and there's encouragement for us to have. You don't want to miss the encouragement that God has for you in relationships. Third observation on gospel ministry. Number three, ministry had seasons of loneliness for Paul. Verses 20 and 21. I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare, for they all seek after their own interests, but not those of Christ Jesus. That uh, verse 20 and 21 sounds pretty harsh in English. Um, It it might not be that harsh in the original it's not this. Paul does not mean that he is surrounded by so-called servants of Christ who have absolutely no interest in Jesus in reality, but they're only interested in their own selfish agendas. He doesn't mean that. It's not that bad. But it's still not a pretty picture. Uh, Most likely, Paul made his desire known to the men that are around him, so he's in prison, and he's got a group of men around him. And he's like, okay, I'm sending Epaphroditus back with this letter, but I need to send somebody else also as my representative. Who will go? Cricket? 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 Nobody was willing to go. Nobody was willing to go. Most likely that's the case. The likely scenario was that the other gospel servants that were around Paul, oh, they had interests that were uniquely their own, Verse 21, they're seeking after their own interests, but not those of Christ. And their own unique interests were interfering with Christ's interests in the gospel mission that Paul was charged to carry out. So they had their own interests in the gospel ministry that they wanted to be doing that was making them negligent in Paul's case. And the only men were available at that time were, were men of around Paul who had conflicting interests. I wonder, if you go back to Philippians 1, I wonder if it's not the guys he mentions in verses 15 to 18. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter, they do it out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel, and the former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. I wonder if he's referring to those guys they're they're preaching Christ they got their own agenda in mind I don't know it's possible Um, Calvin, I love what he said he said this they were so warm in their own pursuits that they were cold to this work of the Lord Paul needing to send somebody to Philippi to to find out how they're doing to be concerned for them also they were so warmed with their own desires that this was cold to them so understand what kind of loneliness this is that Paul is experiencing and 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 what it isn't it's not ministry loneliness because there is nobody else around Paul right Paul's not all alone it's ministry loneliness in the sense that there is not someone like-minded Ready to co-labor with Paul at the moment. It's it would be the difference between this. It's the difference between Paul saying, I have no one else, and I have no one else of kindred spirit. He's got people around him. He just doesn't have people of kindred spirit, of, of a like soul. A kindred spirit means like souled or equal-souled, equal-minded. Paul has a mind and a soul for ministry, and he doesn't have somebody who has like mind, the same soul for it. He's got other guys around him, but not somebody like-minded. So this is an interesting, uh, an interesting ministry loneliness, surrounded by other preachers of the gospel, but we just don't think the same. Now verse 21 tells us what Paul meant by not being equal-souled or kindred in spirit. Or explanation, they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ, Jesus. So Paul's set on Christ's interests among the Philippians and he's got to find out. And he's surrounded by guys who have rather their own interests, their own agenda. Um, that doesn't mean that all of the guys had no sentiment for the Philippians. I'm sure they all did. I'm sure they felt like, wow, yeah, that, that is important somebody should go but you know i can't because i got this going on the only men who were available at that time were men of conflicting interests paul didn't have anyone at his disposal right then who was equal in soul like timothy was and he didn't want to send timothy yet he couldn't send timothy yet and the cause of, of this kind of loneliness for Paul is actually sad. It's humbling to think if it if it was me doing that or if it was you. Becoming so wrapped up in your own ministry interests that somebody else, else would actually feel lonely. Can you imagine that? That they would feel alone, like they don't have somebody who's like-minded, equal-souled. And what that makes me think about and I think probably the uh, this happens everywhere because human nature is what human nature is, but I think this probably happens in the United States a lot. Gospel ministry is not about me bringing my dreams into the gospel ministry and shaping gospel ministry to support my dreams and my interests and my desires. It's not about that at all. Ministry actually requires me to die to my interests and instead I labor for Christ's interest in the gospel this is what it's like for you guys when you step into ministry in your small group it's not about what you want it's not about what you want your ministry to be like there it's not what you, about what your ministry is at, at your job your job is to get consumed with Christ's interests I think Paul's life is a tremendous example. It's very unique to the Apostle Paul. None of us will have the Lord, none of us did have the Lord, stop us dead in our tracks on a dusty road somewhere and say, um, "As a, who's the who was the guy who's the, I'm going to refer to something that popped in my head that I shouldn't even tell you about. The story of Pinocchio. Who's the, the slave master that got Pinocchio? Stromboli. Is that right? You don't know. You guys don't remember the last time you watched that. Is it? He said to Pinocchio, from now on, you are belong to me. That's what God did. That's what Jesus did to Paul. From now on, you're mine. And I've got a plan for you. And Paul's life was swallowed up by Jesus' interests. I will show you how much you must suffer for my name's sake. As you take the gospel to the Gentiles, I'll deliver you from the people I'm sending you to. How many of you would like that charge? I'm going to deliver you from the people I'm sending you to. I mean, his life was swallowed up with the interests of Christ. But it it illustrates the, the principle of how Jesus works in every single life. You're not an apostle. I'm not an apostle. But he comes to you and he swallows up your life. And your ministry is about his interests, not your own. And so you let your... What do you do with your interests? What do you do? You take your interests and you open them up before God with an open hand and you say, I have desires, I have interests, I would like ministry to look like this. What do you want, God? You are Lord. This is your ministry. And you let God do with them whatever he wants to do with them. Refining them, exchanging them, affirming them as his own, whatever it is he wants to do. So ministry has seasons of loneliness for Paul and what made it interesting was that these are actually people who were laboring in the gospel but they just didn't have Christ's interest, and Paul felt alone. Fourth observation of gospel ministry. And I want you to rewrite this one because it doesn't make any sense. Okay, so just cross that number four but write it this way. Are you ready? Where did I rewrite it? Here it is. In the difficulties of ministry, this is number four. I want you to rewrite it this way. In the difficulties of ministry, Paul was buoyed by like-minded co-laborers. He was buoyed by like-minded co-laborers. This takes um, number two, where number two was just general encouragement that he got from other believers. Number four here is specific encouragement and Buoying effect that he got from others who were co laborers. So, again, in the difficulties of ministry, Paul was buoyed by like minded co laborers. Here's where we get to talk about Timothy. Paul says in verse 19, he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. This is not, oh, I really hope it's going to rain tomorrow. It's not that kind of hope. That's a hope that's just like a wish. It's superficial. I mean, you're not going to, you're not. Your day doesn't stop because it doesn't rain uh, the next day. But Paul has a deep-seated, strong desire. This is not a passing wish. He wants Timothy to go. Timothy is his encouragement. Timothy is his help. So let's examine Timothy a little bit here. Look back in verse 20. He is somebody of kindred spirit. That's Paul's implication Timothy is this, he's a kindred spirit, he's equal-souled with Paul in contrast to all of the others that are around Paul at the time. Um, Timothy came on the scene with Paul probably back as early as Acts 14 when Paul was in Lystra and he was stoned and he was left for dead outside the city and it says the disciples were standing around Paul. It's very likely that a young man named Timothy with his mom were standing there looking at the the man who led him to Christ lying dead on the ground, at least so they thought. But we know for sure that Timothy was on the scene in Acts 16 when Paul went back through Lystra, took him, circumcised him, and then brought him with him on his missionary trip, his second missionary trip. And Timothy will be on Paul's mind, be some of the last thoughts on Paul's mind. Second Timothy is Paul's last letter. He's about to die, it's his second Roman imprisonment that occurs. Uh, again, after he's released at the end of Acts, um, after even Acts 28. But he, he knows he's going to die and the person he's writing to that he hopes he gets to see one more time is Timothy. Timothy was this one who was just attached to Paul. So Timothy stands in contrast to all of the others who are pursuing their own interests. He is after Christ's interest, just like Paul is. And Paul found this kindred spirit in ministry A man who longed for the Philippians like Paul did. He found him to be a man to lift up his spirits, to buoy him in the difficulties of ministry. Look at verse 22. He says to the Philippians, you Philippians know of his proven worth. Proven worth means that he was tested and found to be genuine. It's the Greek word dokimazo. It's the one that is, you always test for the purpose of showing the genuineness of what's there. Sometimes you test something to show that it's a fraud, like a counterfeit. This is not that kind of testing. This testing is the testing that says, I'm going to test to show that it's the real thing. Timothy had been tested many times and demonstrated to be the real thing. And they don't have to take Paul's word for it. He says in verse 22, You know of his proven worth. How would they know him? He's the guy that ran back and forth from them to Paul over and over. They dealt with Timothy a lot. And how did they know this? Verse 22, In what way had he proven himself to be faithful? He served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. I don't think that's a very good translation. I think the better translation is this. As a child with his father, he slaved with me in the gospel. As a child with his father, he slaved with me in the gospel. Um, it's the word slaved, dulos or dileo. Um That means when you're a slave like this, it means that you had no will of your own. When you served as this kind of slave, because there was also the minister or the servant, and then there was the slave. If you were a slave and you were serving your master, you never said to your master, Hey, master, I was thinking. I got this idea for how I'm helping you. You never did that because your will to that master did not matter. You only had one will, and it wasn't your own. It was your master's will, and whatever he said is what you did. That's why Paul loved this word. He wanted to show that he was completely abandoning himself and abandoned to Christ and Christ's will. And Timothy Slaved with him like that like a child alongside his father obedience to the master is the only objective self-interests evaporate and the idea here I think the NAS is this the sense that the child is slaving for the father serving the father and that's not what's going on he's serving alongside like a child would serve alongside his father slave alongside his father So a slave of the gospel ministry, this is really important, guys. False teachers, I'm going to go to the extreme, false teachers, maybe apostates, they view the gospel as something to pick up and bring to themselves and carry it along for their own agenda. But guys, genuine believers and leaders can do that too, in their own way. Where you pick up the gospel and you pick it up like it's a tool to take along to accomplish your end in ministry. Um, A slave, however, of the gospel ministry doesn't see the gospel as a tool to pick up and wield for himself or for his own ends. Rather, the slave is the tool of the gospel, in the hands of the gospel, and the gospel controls him. Do you see the difference? And that's the way Paul saw himself. That's the way he saw Timothy. the, The minister in the gospel does not try to maneuver the gospel ministry in the direction that he wants for his interests. In whichever way the gospel maneuvers the slave, the slave's okay with that. Timothy was a slave alongside him, and that lifted up Paul. Paul was lifted up in the difficulties of ministry because there was somebody serving alongside him like a child did his father. And a slave description is a very humbling description, isn't it? Well, here's the other one in verse 22. Timothy is like a child before a father. Well, that's not a mighty description. How would you like somebody to describe you in a childlike way? But that's what he does. He describes him this way, in a childlike manner. And Timothy was okay with this arrangement. He humbled himself in that arrangement and it was evident to all. It was knowable to all in Philippi. They knew that he served Paul that way. And that relationship, that father-son relationship lifted up Paul. You see, he's a a co-minded, equal-souled kind of man who was a slave that encouraged him and he was alongside him like a, a child was alongside a father. Now, here's my question for you. Back in verse 22. Proven worth. How do you become a man of proven worth? How do you become a man of proven worth where you are tested and found to be the real thing? Here's the answer. Are you ready? Serve faithfully where God already has you. Serve faithfully wherever it is that God already has you. Let me, can I give you a couple of, uh, one Old Testament example? Joseph. What if Joseph in Potiphar's house, he's a slave in Potiphar's house? What if he said, "This isn't really where I really want to minister? This isn't where I really want to be. I've got, I've got this I need to be outside of a slave relationship like this and outside of a house I need to be doing other things. Because I could do it. I've got these desires and I know I could do it. What if he viewed himself that way? What if while he was in prison, he said, you know, administrating a prison? That's not what I want to be doing. I've got aspirations for other things outside of this prison. Would he ever have gone from those situations to the Prince of Egypt? Faithfulness... Where God already has you is what will prove you to be the real thing in ministry. It's your proven worth. You, you will never have proven worth if you don't serve faithfully where God currently has you. You may not like where God currently has you and the capacity in which you're serving. It may not be the greatest thing. You may feel like you're forgotten. You may feel like you're neglected or overlooked. And that may be the case. But you have to serve faithfully where God has you. You will never have proven worth if you only tell people about where you'd like to serve someday. Do you guys understand this? I'll be honest with you. I hear a lot of young men complain about where God has them serving because it's not where they want to be. And they want to be someplace else. They want to be doing something else. I understand that. I I can remember being in a seminary and thinking, I'm in seminary because I want want to pastor an elder in a local church. And so here I was in this ministry that was just starting um, in John MacArthur's church, and there was nothing to do except stack chairs. Stack chairs. Just stack chairs. You unstack the chairs and set them out, and then you stack them back up. And you go home, and nobody notices. (laughs) Okay, Wherever God has you, be faithful. And if Joseph could trust that there was a plan that God had for him that was a little bigger than Potiphar's house, and if Joseph could trust in the midst of all of the injustices that were in the prison of being forgotten and overlooked... If he could trust that there was a bigger plan, I think you can trust and I can trust that God has a bigger plan in mind and whatever little thing that it is, insignificant, seemingly insignificant thing that it is, I'm doing right now, I'll just be faithful. I'll just be faithful. That's it. That's how you become proven in your worth. Serve faithfully. Verse 19 Paul had no trouble wanting to send a man like this. Verse 23, he mentions it again, I hope to send him immediately. Paul is confident to trust in a man like this and send him. He's a comfort to Paul in a difficult time. In ministry difficulties, Paul was buoyed by like-minded co-laborers. Let's do number 5. For Paul, nothing could fully replace face-to-face ministry. I think this is this paragraph ends where it began. In verse 19 he started, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. Verse 24, I trust in the Lord that, I'm sorry, verse 23, I hope to send him immediately. So he kind of closes off this paragraph the same way that he started. I'm sending Timothy, he's coming. Um, Paul wants to send him as soon as he can, but verse 23, I need to see how things go with me here in Rome. He couldn't send Timothy until Paul could discern for sure how things were going to go for Paul in Rome. He's pretty sure he's going to get let go. Chapter 1 says that in verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for progress and join the faith. They're not going to kill me, is basically what he's saying. But Paul wasn't quite ready to part with Timothy, which is why he... He wanted Timothy to say, I need to to find out what's going on with me. I need Timothy here with me. Can any of you other guys go for me? He couldn't find anybody else. And so he had shortly to send Timothy off. But Paul just couldn't quite send him yet. But notice verse 24. I trust in the Lord that I myself also will be coming shortly. If Timothy's visit was intended by Paul to be the full and entire substitute for his own visit, why does he promise to come after that? That tells you that this wasn't Paul's mindset. He says this because Timothy is not the full substitute for Paul. Timothy must go, but Paul also will come as soon as he can. Uh, So get this, Paul sends Epaphroditus... Epaphroditus can tell him lots about what's going on with Paul. And then Timothy's going to come, and Timothy can probably add a little bit more to that. But Paul isn't satisfied until when? Until he can go and see them himself. He longs to see them. So we're kind of back around full circle again to relationships. Um, Nothing could fully replace face-to-face ministry. Uh, You can go back and see that again in 1 Timothy 3, about 1 to 10. And the way I'm sorry, First Thessalonians three one to ten, how Paul felt towards the Thessalonians. He just wanted to see them again. Um, Paul truly loved people. He loved the people that he served with, and he loved the people that he served the gospel to. Uh, Nothing could fully replace face to face ministry. Um, Guys, can't say enough about just love for people in ministry. You need to love your small group. You need to love your, uh, the guys that you co-labor with, the people you co-labor with in your ministry. Lastly, number six, Paul's hope and trust were not ultimately in relationships, but in the Lord Jesus. Look, how, look at the bookends on this passage. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Verse 24, and I trust in the Lord. Um, those are the bookends on the passage. I hope and I trust. I hope in the Lord Jesus, I trust in the Lord. Paul's ultimate trust as he thinks about it, so relationally all, uh, about all of the relational aspects of ministry, his ultimate hope and trust were not in those relationships. Those relationships were not the Lord of his life, were not the master of, he just wasn't a social being. He was a, a slave of Jesus Christ. And if the Lord determined that those relationships would be able to have another day of face-to-face interaction, praise God but hope and trust were not ultimately in those relationships they were in the Lord Jesus so I, I think what you get in Philippians is a call to set relationships really really high but not too high you must always put them under the lordship of Jesus Paul did that he had to hope in the Lord that this was going to happen he had to trust in the Lord that he was going to get to see them so so Number one, relationships in the gospel mattered greatly to Paul. Paul sought the encouragement that comes from relationships. Number two, three, ministry had seasons of loneliness, even though you may be surrounded by people. Uh, Number four, in the difficulties of ministry, Paul was buoyed by like-minded co-laborers. Number five, for Paul, nothing could fully replace face-to-face ministry. And lastly, Paul's hope and trust were not ultimately in relationships, but in the Lord Jesus himself. It's a great window into gospel ministry. And um, we'll get a chance to look at Epaphroditus next time. Any thoughts, any questions, comments, things to add? Elder Scott, nothing? Denny first. Uh, so- What what do you mean by the the kind of relationship? Well, uh, in in, uh, in his his book, uh, to the bookings, I mean, just hearing you describe what he went through this morning, it seems like he was very, I mean, just uh, really appreciated who they were Yeah, well, I think that, that's a great question, and, and that would be a, a really interesting thing to just trace through Paul's letters and look at, okay, how is he describing himself, how he, how he feels about them? Like when he says in chapter 1 of Philippians, uh, you know, I, I long with you all with the affection of Christ. I mean, that, that just sounds so warm, and yet Paul is also, was the teacher, he was the instructor, he was the Apostle Paul. He taught the Thessalonians uh, how to think about persecution. He he taught them to think about purity. He taught them to think about um, what the gospel was. He taught them about the rapture in chapter four. He talked to, taught them about the day of the Lord. He secured them with eschatology and encur- and expected them to be able to pastorally care for one another. And yet all the while he had this warm affection for them. So. He wore, uh, there's no doubt he was the Apostle Paul and he instructed and he taught, but it was always with a warmth and a love. He was very engaged with the people at the same time. We would probably think that those two things might be uh, mutually exclusive. How can you have such a position of authority as the Apostle Paul and then be so warm and affectionate for people? And yet for Paul, it's not split up, it's not bifurcated, it's, it's it's a mix that you can't separate. You know, so that's a good question I'd want to actually study some more and look at that It's a great question Tom um, go ahead. answer that which is better is it's yes (laughs) both yeah no it's a good question um and this is where i mean every believer needs to do both you need to evangelize and you need to disciple and and i wouldn't even view necessarily discipleship as exclusively christian necessarily that but that Evangelism merges into discipleship, becomes discipleship, is discipleship as you as they as you grow them in Christ. Um, you need to have both prongs going on where you're evangelizing and you're teaching. Um, some of us are better, like I talked about earlier. Massimo um, is 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 just it just naturally, you know, it supernaturally comes to him to be able to evangelize. He's also a good discipler, but man, he can find a way to get the gospel into any situation um, and this is where we get to rely on this as a body so it's true for us to the individual every individual must be this way but where I'm weak I'm counting on in the body that there's going to be some men who are strong and where they're weak maybe I'll be strong and together as a body we get evangelism and we get the, the building up and the instruction of the body all covered uh, so we get to rely on a, on a body to do that um, so we need both. And as a man, you need to work on both. Um, but at the end of the day, if you're really just better at one and striving to get better on the other, that you're weak in, remember that you get to serve alongside a body to help with that. Um, I don't hesitate to, um, if I'm meeting with somebody and I find that they, if I assess that what they need is something really that like a Tom Angstead could Give them much better than I can. I don't hesitate to say. You know what? You need to meet with Tom, and and you need to listen to everything that guy says. Um, and they you know, that's what we rely on in the body is is men to co-labor alongside each other like that. So, yeah, that's a good question. Anything else, guys? All right. Thank you so much for coming. Let's pray. Father in heaven, would you please make us into men who love to serve you in the gospel, Lord, men who um, increasingly want to abandon our own interests and desires and lay them before you and let your fire purify them, make them better, let your fire totally consume them. Lord, protect gospel ministry from self-seeking interests that I might have, that any of these men might have. And Father, um, may your interest, the interests of Christ in gospel ministry at Grace Bible Church, may, may it take over all of us. May we be men like Timothy, men like Paul, who slave after your will being accomplished in gospel ministry. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, men.